Hello, welcome to Tea Hanks with Memories. I'm your host, Darren, and today we're going to be talking about Cast Away. Uh, joining me to talk about him, you heard him just then, it is Rob Arnold. Hello, Rob. Uh, don't worry, Wilson. I'll do all the paddling. You just hang on. <laughs> uh, Eric Nash. Hey there. How's, how's it going? Glad to be back. Uh, and Alice Lauren. Returning from another Tom Hanks water-based film, Splash. Hi, yes. I cannot, cannot get away from water and Tom Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, notably so far, I think Alice has not liked any of the Tom Hanks films that she has seen. Uh, so, at least with uh, us, not so fun fact. Right? Yeah. And and also not with not with you, Eric, as well. She didn't like a league of their own. So she's a she's a harsh mistress when it comes to passing judgment on Tom Hanks films. Uh, maybe this will be the one that turns it around. Maybe this will be the one that finally endears her to Tom Hanks. Well, let's jump into the film then. Uh, we start. Uh, with some rural crossroads, um, and a FedEx truck comes up and picks up a package uh, that is being delivered um, from there to um, well, you know, we'll we'll find out later where it's going, um, and uh, it ends up. I think is this where it goes? It goes to her husband, um, and then the husband sends a package back, um, and that package will end up on a plane. But we we find our way, our way to Russia. Um, and Chuck Noland uh, in 1995 we are starting in the past in this film um, he's in Russia and he's kind of um, giving this this kind of FedEx department in Russia um, the kind of the once over telling them that they live and die by the clock um, and <laughs> to prove this he had a clock delivered to himself um, and it took 87 hours to get there um, and obviously he's not happy about that you know he you know, the whole point of being a, a delivery company is that stuff gets delivered on time. And that is kind of Chuck's life is, you know, he is uh, very much uh, ruled by the clock and things being delivered. Um, and what I like about this is, you know, as with a lot of Robert Zemeckis films, he establishes everything very quickly. Um, you know, within the first like eight minutes or so. Um, we've already had uh, Chuck try and call his partner, Kelly, a couple of times and get the uh, voicemail. Um, so, you know, we've seen his devotion to her. And then also we get the idea that he is a bit of a workaholic. He's gone all the way to this one Russian FedEx department just to tell them that they've got to sort their parcels quicker. Right. But the, the part of the idea with, with the Russian aspect of it is, you know, it's not long after the Iron Curtain has, has fallen. And therefore, you know, they now have American innovation coming into Russia in order to show them how to do things more properly. That, that's yes. what they're also trying to show at this point. Yes. And in fact, a truck gets stopped in Red Square and Chuck goes out there and he starts you know, taking the packages off the truck and sorting them into other trucks. One that is destined to the airport, the other which is destined to, for another depot. Um, and we get hints throughout this as well of the, the bicycle story where apparently to get something delivered on time, uh, Chuck um, took a bike from a child and used Stole. that. Well, he yes. Well, borrowed, yeah. borrowed, borrowed. That's that's why I went for the neutral took because because uh, yeah, people say stolen, he says borrowed, and then later on, someone exaggerates it even further and says it was a disabled child um, whose bike that he stole um, so he could deliver a package. But obviously, the idea is Chuck is the kind of person who will do literally anything to get a package delivered. And, you know, he, he like, you know, he will not kind of hesitate, um, you know, just kind of at the moment's notice, uh, you know, 
go all the way to Russia to show them how to sort parcels. Um, you know, and it's funny because obviously, if you know the premise of the film, if you've seen the trailers, I think we get faked out a little bit here by the fact that he's getting on a plane and there's a lot of discussion yeah. with pilots. Yeah. And in your head, you're thinking, oh, this is this is going to crash. This plane is. But it doesn't. He gets home safely. Um, but I like that we establish a, like, no, I mean, you know, most of this film is going to be Tom Hanks by himself. Um, given an Oscar nominated but not winning performance and I like that we kind of we establish a tiny bit of the you know the camaraderie he has with some of his co-workers um, in particular well, I, we have Stan I, um, I think what they're trying to show there also is the fact that he is always on a plane he's so familiar oh, with, yeah. with all of the people on the plane because he's flying all around which then you know, as you said, there's a little bit of the fake out because you think that this is the plane it's going to happen on. But since it doesn't happen here, you never know what type of flight it's going to happen on because maybe through the course of the movie, they're going to have them on a number of flights. Yeah. And we're not yeah. sure about that. Well, I mean, you know, like the fact that he's drinking wine, but it's, you know, it's in a brown bag because he knows the rules. Grape of, juice, you know. grape juice. Well, yeah, exactly. 1992 <laughs> yeah. grape juice. <laughs> yeah so like the like the fact that he kind of can joke around with the pilots and everything it just it makes it clear that yeah this is a guy who has no problem um you know sitting on the jump seat on a plane you know he's like that's he's used to doing that like that's how he travels um and you know so you know the fact that he's kind of gone all the way to russia and back um you know it, it like this isn't this isn't something unusual to him he's kind of used to being on a plane you know he's got no problems with it um, and then, you know, he, he gets back home and there is a little bit of conversation here with Stan where we find out that Stan has got a wife that is sick and he obviously says that he'll recommend a doctor to him. And, you know, like, so when he gets, when he gets back, you know, like he'll, he'll find the number and he'll recommend the doctor and, you know, so there's a little bit of kind of establishing the fact that he's a good guy who will go to any lengths to both deliver a package and also help out friends. Yes. What's really fascinating about this, this part, and I, I spoke about it when you spoke about League of Their Own, was I thought that, especially in the beginning, he was kind of this workaholic jerk kind of character, and in League of Their Own, he kind of comes off as this very jerk character, which is different from the you know picture that I have of him being like America's uncle and you know jovial and nice and, and all of that. Um, and so I'm kind of surprised that they didn't let that keep going through. You know, that he was just always this jerk. He didn't care about Stan. He didn't have camaraderie with, you know, his coworkers. I think that would have been a very interesting choice. But, I mean, I'm happy he was nice, but it would have been an interesting choice for them to kind of keep this, like, jerk, you know, only focused on work kind of personality for him. I feel I like mean he was jerky enough. You know that that is it is something I kind of forgot about when I had my more recent rewatch. You know, versus the five plus years before the last time I saw, I had seen it. But but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of these things were taking me a little bit by like shock, like what I was saying before, like that, that lasted as long as it did the the intro part before the uh, crash on the island, uh, so forth. Uh, but you know, it's 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 I th I think it's I think it's a pretty decent setup. I don't I don't see that there needs to be much more than that. There's, there's, there's enough of change otherwise, I think though. Yeah. Cause I was going to say like, like the Island taught him, you know, yeah. not to be a jerk or not to be, yeah. well, I mean, he kind of didn't teach it, you know, taught him not to be a workaholic and being on time, you know, you want to kind of be completely different than the beginning from that kind of experience. 
Right. But, yeah. yeah, I have to disagree with what you guys about that. I, I, I'm glad that they didn't make him a jerk because the whole idea here is you want to like this character. You want him to, to find a way off the island. You want him to survive. If he was a jerk, you'd say, ah, the hell with it. Let him let him drown. Let him. Exactly. So, <laughs> you know, the, 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 the fact that he is willing to help out Stan and that he's, you know, a workaholic and, you know, as as we're about to discuss, you know, we, we get to know about his relationship with, with Kelly and with her family and stuff like that. I, I think the idea there is to show that he is a great guy and that this yeah. is someone that you want to care about through every through all these ordeals that he's going to be going through. Uh, someone you don't want to care about is the actor playing Stan, uh, mm-hmm. played by Nick Cersei, who is a right-wing nutbag. Um, mm-hmm. He, yeah, he, unfortunately, like, he, he's kind of, <laughs> I mean, I don't know how to describe how terrible he is, but, um, you know, he, like, at one point, he donated to Herman Cain's <laughs> campaign when he was running for president. So that's how terrible he is of a person. Um, yeah, he's just like an anti-vaxxer now, anti-masker, right-wing nut job. Uh, you know, so I'm not I'm not concerned if Stan's wife dies because, quite frankly, I don't like Stan. Um, okay, well, well, Nick Cersei, as an actor, <laughs> not the person, um, he actually worked with Tom Hanks in the past because he, yeah. he had a pivotal role in the the miniseries From the Earth to the Moon that Tom yeah, he, the executive he, produced. And I always loved him. In that role, playing Deke Slayton, yes. which in in Apollo thirteen was played by uh, the other guy who's also the manager in that thing they do. Um, so Tom Hanks has worked with two Deke Slaytons more than once. Yeah, although obviously just producing um, from the Earth to the Moon. But well, he was in he was in a few he was in every episode because he introduced them. He was the narrator. Yeah, but not acted. He only acted in the final episode. Yeah. I'm not covering that because I know, I know. I'm not, cov- I'm not covering TV shows, um, but yeah. So you know, we, we've we've met the kind of his co-workers, and so of course we then get to the other side, which is his home life. Um, and we see in his house there is a certificate for him sailing. There's some fishing stuff there, so I don't know. Maybe that will come back later in the film. Um, there's there's actually up- a lot. Have you? Did you look at all the things that are on the shelf there? There are books. There's a book that says "The Art of a Sailor: Alone Around yeah. the World." There's a picture mm-hmm. on a boat. There's a sailing certificate, as you mentioned. He, it, yeah. There's a, a prize that says that he won the second place in the Lake Pickwick Charity Regatta in 1994. <laughs> and then he has three sailing trophies, which is something that I never noticed before. Yeah. Well, th- this is Robert Zemeckis. He likes to pan across stuff and just have the audience be like, oh, I wonder if that will come back later in any way. No, he um, pans across things and people don't even notice it. People well, yeah. That. I mean, apart <laughs> from Back to the Future... Apart from Back to the Future, where he pans across some plutonium in the first minute of the film, oh, right. and you're like, "Oh, right, I guess that's gonna." <laughs> but everyone's looking at the clocks, not the plutonium. Yeah, um, and you know, there's some clocks in this as well to co- constantly remind you that uh, obviously uh, that is the thing that Chuck lives by. Um, and we get a family meal uh, with everybody, cause just you know, generally kind of chatting away and having fun. You know, it's near Christmas. Uh, so I don't know if this is actually a Christmas family meal or if it's just on Christmas Day or if it's just near Christmas Day. Um, I think it's meant to be a Christmas. It's Christmas Day or Christmas Eve. Yeah, that's the way it seems because they're you know he they, later on he gives her the presents you know Christmas Eve he's about to travel. Yeah, um, and you know during this family meal there's a bit of a ribbing, light ribbing one might say about uh, the fact that obviously uh, Chuck has not yet married Kelly. 
you know, they talk about obviously they have previous failed relationships and they don't want to jump into anything too soon and, uh, you know, yada, yada, yada. Um, general kind of stuff that you would expect uh, in a kind of like 90s rom com, I guess, which this. You know, uh, we haven't said who's playing Kelly, of course, which is Helen Hunt, who at the time was in a number of rom-coms um, and, of course, had been in the Oscar winning As Good As It Gets, which is uh, not a very good film. For some reason, it won Ooh. a bunch of awards. Oh, well, that shot's fired at Eric there, I feel. Um, <laughs> I, I, I liked it. I didn't think it was great because I think that, that she and Jack Nicholson just don't have good chemistry. I think that's the problem with the movie. But she, she's pretty he's, good there. He's... He's old enough to be her grandfather in that film. I, I understand that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I'll say this. There was a brief period where Helen Hunt, like, won, like, an Emmy and an Oscar and a Tony, like, all in the same year. And I was like, I don't fully understand what's going on here. Like, she's an okay actor, but I don't think she's, you know, award winning, um, as I think borne out by the last 20 years, where I don't think she's been nominated for anything. So No, she was, um, she was nominated for an Oscar for... The the one with where she played the sex surrogate. Um, oh yeah. Uh, what was the name of that movie? Can't remember offhand. The sessions. Uh, the sessions. Yeah. I think yeah. That's what it was. <laughs> he's a, he's America's dad though. Uh, I don't think Helen Hunt is anybody's mom. Right. Uh, other than her own children. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So I mean, you know, it's an she doesn't really get a huge amount to do here. There's a tiny bit at the start and there's a little bit at the end. You know, obviously this film is mostly Tom Hanks. Um, but I can't say, I mean, I think this film wants us to feel more about this relationship than is actually on the screen. Like it wants us to uh, feel like there's some kind of missed opportunity later on in the film when I don't, I don't think that's really what the film should be about. Um, but you know, we'll talk about that when they get there because no, but I, I, think, I think, I think it actually, what they're talking about here is they're trying to show that these two have a great relationship, even though they're both completely busy with their with their, their own lives, and they still are able to find time to be together. I mean, the fact that they pull out their their uh, daily planners, you know, to figure out when they're going to be together, uh, says something about that they're both workaholics, but they also still want to try and find the time to be together, and they just haven't gotten around to to, to getting married, which is the in-joke with, with the watch that she gives him. Um, and I think there's also something t- kind of to be said about with, with his kind of, uh, uh, you know, you know, giving her a little, little, you know, m- make fun of her previous uh, boyfriend or marriage or whatever it was. Marriage. Um, and, yeah, and that, how that can kind of, you know, think about now, just, you know, it, it comes back around in a sense, you know, to the way things you know, you know, almost and don't and almost and don't <laughs> end up, you know, with with the ensuing other marriage. Yeah, and him, I'm just, and, and him being her last. I'm partner. just saying that uh, much like Andy McDowell in the early 90s, I'm not sure I understand the fascination with Helen Hunt in rom-coms in the late 90s. Oh. Um, and her hair in this film is terrible. I don't know what they were doing to her. I don't know if she was still obligated to have some kind of haircut for Mad About You and they were trying to film around that or whatever, but her hair does not look good at the start of the film, at least. <laughs> yeah, they sort things out. It takes her four years to fig- finally figure out a good uh, haircut. Um, no, I think it also has to do... I think that, that goes back to the to, to, to the idea that they say a lot of times with, with women, after they end a relationship, they go get mm. their hairstyle and get, and, and get their haircut. And she 
the whole time was thinking about him until she finally, you know, made the decision that she needs to 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 take. She needs to believe that he's dead in order to to move on, and that that's one of the things that that they say women do. Before they go, they exchange some presents. Wait, he obviously... second, I want to mention one trivia fact. I'm sorry about the, during the meal. So the the whole fact that when someone brings up the fact that he hasn't been married, that they haven't got that he hasn't proposed yet, so they 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 then talk about the fact that they had a bet of how long it would take for someone to make that comment. Okay, um, and they said that it took 14 minutes into the meal. Now, if you look at the runtime of the movie at the time, it was 15 minutes, I think, in 47 seconds or something like that. But if you go back 14 minutes, that exact second, 14 minutes earlier, is when we get the the title of of uh, Castaway at the crossroads. So I thought that was just really funny that they throw that in there, and it really is 14 minutes since the movie started. That's something Robert Zemeckis likes to do as well. Yes, yeah. kind of yeah. little in jokes like that. Um, yeah. Sorry to cut you off there, Darren. Uh, he he has an urgent uh, beep, uh, and he looks at it as though he is somebody who is going to do some life-saving surgery and not just <laughs> get on a plane with some packages. Um, it's a very serious look from Tom, um, which I thought was quite funny, because it's like, buddy, you, you just... You're just like a logistics manager. <laughs> like, why the face? Um, no one's dying yet. Um, and Unless what so you're they... transporting is an organ. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, that's owl. it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought as soon as, as it beeped, I and you know he'd been like you know rubbing his whatever, his tooth or whatever during the meal, and then that thing beeped, and I thought, oh, my God, he has, like, diabetes. This is a pump, you know? He's... You know, they know how his numbers are. You know, that's honestly what I thought in that moment. Yeah, it is. It <laughs> did is not pl- have pumps in 95. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's played a lot. But no, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point that there was a reference to the tooth there. The tooth. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. No, oh, yeah. We've, they've already mentioned that. Yes. Um, yeah. They, I mean, they play it off as more serious than it, it is, but he's got to go to a plane. And, you know, obviously uh, Kelly understands this. Um, so they, they exchange gifts while they're in the car on the runway and, um, you know, he's given her some towels and jokes that she's extremely difficult to shop for. And then as he walks away with the, he's also given her a beeper as well, because, you know, back in 1995, people were giving each other beepers because they were super expensive, uh, inside a Matryoshka doll. So she kind of like opens it up, obviously, you know, a souvenir of him being in Moscow. Uh, he, he goes away and he's got the keys in his hand and she calls him back and then he goes, oh, we're there. I've got one more present for you. And of course he gets out a, uh, ring box shaped present and hands it to her, and, you know, she's not 100% ready, and he's like, you know, we'll obviously talk about it once I'm back from this particular trip, Um, and before he leaves, he says, I'll be right back, and then he goes to get onto the plane. Obviously, he hadn't seen the hit horror film Scream, where they basically say, don't say the words, I'll be right back, because you won't. That's the package, I want to know what was in that package, maybe it wasn't a ring, I don't know. Well, unless unless he's playing a, a huge prank of putting a uh, package around, like, yeah, a box that's shaped like a ring. Um, you know, that I mean, I would love to see the payoff of that four years later when she opens it up and it's just like a gag gift. Um, <laughs> but uh, it, it isn't. isn't. Uh, he gets onto the FedEx plane. Uh, once again, he's chatting with some of the pilots. 
and we see all the packages and basically it's just a freight train you know like the you know there's no passengers on this apart from him and the pilots uh so he's effectively sitting kind of right up front um and you know he's he's a seasoned traveler so he sticks in some little um uh what are they called to block out sound Earplugs, there we go. I never use them myself. Um, he, he puts in some earplugs, he sticks on a mask, and he kind of starts to fall asleep, and then he is uh, jilted awake. Uh, we should say, of course, he's been given a watch, uh, which has a picture of uh, Kelly in it. Kelly uh, this will be this will be this will, this will become extremely important as the film goes on. Um, and, you know, uh, he's... He he he's kind of wakes up and uh, you know in his in his days he decides to go and use the bathroom. He fills up the sink with some water, and then all of a sudden the door kind of opens violently and he's been pulled out of the bathroom. And something is going on. You know they've hit they hit a bit of turbulence which woke him up. But now, um, you know that this seems like kind of a lot more serious. When they hit the turbulence area, they were kind of putting out their position and sending out like a you know so that people knew where they were because they were two hundred miles off course. So, of course, you know, if they are to go down, nobody will know where to look for them because they'll be looking in the wrong place. What's interesting um, is that they, they give us a shot before he walks into the bathroom that, that he actually looks at the charts. And yes. you know, this is, it gives him an idea as to where he theoretically is meant to be because of his, his background that we know from sailing and stuff like that. That, well, we, yeah. in retrospect... Yeah, so, you know, it's a good job that he's took a look at them. But uh, things are in chaos and, uh, you know, uh, the, the kind of the plane has been hit or something. Something's happening and the plane's going down and they tell him to brace for impact. Um, but before he can brace, they give him a raft. <laughs> so, um, But before he can kind of brace for impact, the watch uh, falls off of his uh, seat and he goes to get it back by getting out of the chair. One of the pilots... Unbuckling. Uh, un- un- his belt yes yeah he takes takes himself out of the chair and goes to get the watch um the one of the um pilots hits his head and he's bleeding um and then they hit the water and the plane starts filling up he he gets hold of the raft he's he retrieves the watch um and he's you know trying to get out of the he like uh, inflates the raft so he'll float up to the top of um the sinking plane before him they show like in die hard they show his feet that he's just wearing socks. He's not wearing shoes. As he's being pulled up, he loses the emergency locator transmitter, which is uh, on his raft. Um, and he ends up in the raft, floating up to the top. And uh, we get to the next day. And the plane has started to sink. He's got a couple of packages. And we are near an island, fortunately. Uh, otherwise, he would just be kind of floating around in the sea forever. Um, and half an hour in, we wash upon the island. And welcome to the second act and get used to just seeing Tom Hanks because this is where we're going to be for the next, I don't know, hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> it's going to be a while uh, before he gets off here. Um, some of the other packages begin to wash up on the shore. This is something that will happen, you know, uh, periodically. You know, some more will wash up eventually. Uh, he looks to find shelter. And while he's looking to find shelter, he hears some noises. Um, and, you know, in the sand, he puts the word help in big letters, but it gets washed away. So he replaces that <laughs> with some logs that he places in the same kind of configuration. Uh, obviously, he's thinking that he's only going to be here a couple of days and he just needs to make the words help and a plane will fly over and see him. Um, but unfortunately, this is not, uh, you know, some kind of, uh, 
lucky rescue type thing. Uh, he's going to be here for a while. Um, what I like is that we keep hearing these sounds, so we think something is on the island. Uh, but of course, it is revealed that the sound is just coconuts falling from the trees. Um, you know, something which obviously uh, is helpful for Chuck because he's going to need some food and he's going to need some form of, uh, you know, hydration. Um, and this is where he starts his process of trying to survive on the island. Um, now, a number of these things that he does, like trying to make fire, trying to break open a coconut, um, uh, they were things that some of the crew did because they left the crew for a couple of days on the island <laughs> and said to them, survive on the island and, you know, try and tell us what difficulties you have doing that. And then they wrote them into the script um, that obviously, you know, none of the crew could figure out how to break open a coconut um, from its kind of like, uh, I don't know what you'd call that thing that covers it before it, you know, you kind of get into the actual kind of coconut part. Um, the and husk. Just, the husk. The husk. husk. There we go. Yeah. So, th like, apparently none of them could figure out how to get the husk off a coconut. And between, like, three or four crew members, they couldn't come up with an idea of how to start fires. So... Uh, those two things were kind of the struggles that they wrote into the script because that is obviously, you know, the hardest things that they figured out. Um, and even though Chuck, you know, clearly is a seasoned sailor, uh, making a fire, clearly not a strong suit. Well, there's something um, you usually don't do on a boat no, no. <laughs> when you're sailing. Well, no. you're not going to start a fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, but and, and, I, and it truly is. I've I've actually taken a little bit of a uh, a very simplified and so forth, what have you, uh, class in a sense. Um, on on it and uh you know without any uh little extra uh very helpful combustible stuff that uh any uh, uh if you're a serious hiker or some so so forth you should carry with you uh just in case you're in a crazy situation um little extra little combustible uh stuff that you can you can buy and get and so forth uh it, it, it really is as difficult i think <laughs> as as they make it out to be here i think it's done yeah. really well the, I mean, the, he doesn't, irony, he... the irony of this is, is that the, this movie came out, or when it was being made, that Survivor hadn't started yet. You know, so uh, obviously in 1995, for sure, it didn't happen at that point. But even the point of having the, the crew members try to figure out how to, you know, the cast and crew to try and figure out how to make these things is pretty funny. Because, you know, nowadays, if you would send a cast and crew after, uh, you know, 41 seasons of Survivor, I'm sure there will be at least one person there, if not more that have watched enough episodes that could probably try and figure out how to do it. Survivor is not a show that is shown over here, so I feel I would have difficulty. Really? Yeah. No, it, they did uh, They did an English version of it. Lasted two seasons. They cancelled it, so didn't travel. Instead, we have Celebrities in a Jungle. Uh, <laughs> so there's an entirely different show. Uh, but yeah, so um, what I like here is, like, his first instinct is to make, like, help in the sand. And that doesn't work, so then he switches to doing logs. And then the fact that he's scared by the sound of the coconuts falling, like, I, there's an interesting moment where you think maybe there's going to be some kind of uh, life on this island that will in some way help him, like, at least provide a form of, you know, meat or whatever. Um, you know, uh, as, as imagined by, I don't know, uh, Bart, uh, when they got stuck on an island, he imagined that there would be monkey butlers that would help them out. Um and there are no monkey butlers on this island. Um, but I, 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 I think as well, Robert Zemeckis really shoots it well that, like, you just hear the noises and you're not quite sure what they are because, obviously, he's, you know, Chuck doesn't know what they are. And so, you know, you, we're kind of very much in Chuck's shoes of, like, him trying to figure stuff out. He doesn't even really kind of 
try to get shelter and stuff to start off with like he's he's just kind of trying to gather stuff he, obviously he's he's thinking it will be a quick rescue like he's thinking i'm only going to be here a few days i don't need to really kind of like set up camp and make you know kind of prepare things i just need to you know make a sign so i can get off the island um, well there's also that with, with some noises and so forth and he there's also that one point where when he kind of like look up and look, looks up at, at the cliff wall and sees that cave and yeah. I feel like, you know, to, to us, the audience, I think the idea is we're trying to, like like what you said, some, like some kind of animal maybe that could also harm him besides just possibly eating, but possibly harm him too. Um, but then also, I mean, it's just, I think it's a matter of, you know, he, I think he gets afraid of that as being, you know, it's a possible shelter, but he, he's right now he's afraid. So he's going to risk it and not, not investigate yeah. until later. And then, of course, we also get him figuring out how to break off the husks and get into the coconuts. And, of course, the first one, he just breaks in two very quickly and loses all the coconut water. (laughs) And he kind of gets, like, a couple of dribbles at the end and he's like, this is, you know. So I like how he manages to refine the process where he gets, he he manages to kind of um, get a stone so that he can put a hole in so he can just drink the, the kind of coconut water straight out. And that way, he, you know, it also then later on break them up and kind of eat the coconut. So he's, you know, he's starting to kind of figure out things. Um, and, you know, obviously there was also talk earlier in the film of, um, you know, of him being given fishing line as like a, a present. So he is kind of a fisher, but he's not a fisher who can do this with like his bare hands. And so, you know, the process of him trying to catch fishes, uh, like when he first wades out, um, and then he ends up with the corpse of the pilot <laughs> kind of bumping into him. Um, you know, like, it's funny because, like, obviously he thinks, he might think of himself as, like, a fisherman or somebody who fishes, but obviously he, you know, that's only when you've got, like, you know, expensive equipment and everything. Like, just going into the sea and stopping fish is, you know, is something more difficult to do when you haven't got, you know, like a fishing line and bait and everything. Um you know, and you know the the kind of the the corpse of the pilot kind of appearing, uh, Albert R. Miller, as it says on his uh, on his driving license. Well, I like the uh, way that they, that that he sees that they show him seeing seeing the body. I mean, he he climbs all the way to the top, you know, of the the highest point on the island, and yeah. So I, I'm still always amazed that that is a complete CGI shot. He's really like on a soundstage or something at that point. He's nowhere near a mountain top in there but they just make it look it just looks so amazing and when he's up there that's when he sees you know the the body just floating on the side of uh you know in the water and then he's down you know yeah he's trying to find someone you know to be able to talk to what i what i find funny is that when he gets the body out one of the first things he does is uh check the boots and see if they fit his feet okay well Um, (laughs) yeah and obviously they don't. And well, the, uh, what I like is that, well, I don't know if I like it, but there is the special effect where as he's taking the boots off, we hear like a crack um, because obviously, the, you know, the, the, I'm guessing at this point uh, rigor mortis is set in. So you're not going to be able to get those boots off that feet, those feet pretty easily. So right. there is like a little crack as he takes the first boot off. Um, and, you know, we'll see later on that he basically just cuts the front off the boots so that they, they kind of function as almost like kind of sandals 
Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, because he can't wear them as boots because they are too small for his feet. Right. It's the um, same same joke as I mentioned earlier about Die Hard. You know, it's, it's the same thing. You know, the first, he goes, million ter- terrorists in the world and I happen to kill one with uh, feet smaller than my sister. The first first <laughs> chance to get to get boots or, or shoes, you know, <laughs> they're just not going to fit. Yeah. Um, he takes the flashlight uh, off Albert R. Miller. It is working. So that's at least that's something. Uh, better than nothing and then of course he buries him um, and uh, he then kind of comes up with the idea of maybe fishing with a stick uh, to try and catch fish and he's again not very successful abysmal uh, abysmal (laughs) yeah (laughs) he throws throws the stick in the wrong direction as he's running across yeah, I well, yeah. So I like I like that basically, you know, he's been shown to be basic, completely incompetent at kind of surviving here. Like, um, you know, he's like he ha- like the only thing he has that's any good to him at the moment is the raft. Um, but he's everything else. He's just kind of you know he's barely surviving. But I think um, that's good because most people, um, uh, you know, myself, I can I can definitely include in there. If any of you want to include yourselves in in this list, also. Most people that are watching this movie know nothing about how they would survive on a desert island. So, you know, if you were to, to, to watch a character who, within two minutes, knows what he's doing, he's able to, to put together a fishing line, he's able to start catching fish or whatever, it just wouldn't be as fun as watching someone doing things based on what you think you, would, you yourself would probably try and do and probably fail at at the same time. Yeah. And Chuck was already so smart at it. Too, I think, you know, especially talking about seeing him in his regular life and in, in business, and how you know well he does with math and and everything. I mean, he was he was brilliant as it was anyway. Of course, there were some things he was failing with, but I mean, just kind of seeing how well he took to it was was interesting. Uh, I should say as well, in terms of the filming, something interesting here: they never filmed anything at night on the island, not a single night shot. Uh, everything is day for night, which is why some of it looks a bit bluish, um, because obviously that's you know that's like a simple thing that they do on like lower budget films when they do uh, day for night it looks atrocious, but on this it looks pretty good. Um, you think that that was for safety of, reasons that they just didn't stay on on the island at night? I think it was just because Tom Hanks wasn't going to be doing fifteen days of night shoots. <laughs> He's already okay. lost a ton of weight, and you know. He's talking I would almost He's, wonder too. Could, could it know. be were were they not were, were they close enough to en- something else that would put lights in the distance? Uh, well, ships when when they don't want a ship to be <laughs> none none of the sound that's in this film when they're on when they're anywhere near the yeah. beach is is the actual sound because the the surf was too loud, and this isn't an island; it's just an archipelago. So. Yeah. There was sometimes there was like a GI'd out like a highway or something in the background. Yeah, yeah. There's a few shots where they they were close enough to the shore that there was a uh, yeah there was a highway and so they got rid of that. Um, yeah. So I mean, shooting at night obviously is a pain because it means that like you can't just do one night. You've got to basically shift the entire crew over to shooting nights for a sustained period. Um, and so they were just like, well, we can do it digitally. You know, it's Robert Zemeckis. You know, the next film he does with Tom Hanks. They do everything digitally. So, yeah. um, you know, in this particular case, just doing a few night for day shots was not much of a problem. One of which is Tom Hanks peeing into the ocean. Um, yeah. You know, because he has Tom to, Hanks. He has to get that peeing scene in. 
in his contract. I mean, you know, uh, the green mile, it was basically uh, the crux of the story was him peeing. Yeah. Uh, so here we are a year later and he's he's got to get that peeing in. Um, and so one of the, the, the night shots is him just peeing into the ocean and just looking out. Um, well, and, we're not looking out. Well, he, <laughs> he's, he's, he, he's looking out into the ocean and he sees a light and he just starts screaming, hey, hey, <laughs> trying to get their attention. Because obviously they're going to hear him. Yeah, unfortunately it doesn't work. Again, well, this is a a second Tom Hanks staple. Peeing and yelling. And he does a lot of yelling in this film. Um, And just yelling at the ocean, basically. Uh, uh, This, of course, motivates him to try and swim out. Because obviously he's thinking this is near maybe a shipping lane or something. So if he can get far enough out, he can get spotted by some ships. And he can get picked up. And so he makes his first attempt at leaving the island using the raft. Um, But unfortunately, the tide is very much against him and he cannot get very far out. And to top things off, the raft gets punctured and then he cuts his leg. And then he basically ends up kind of just, you know, uh, floating back onto the island. And he ends up kind of going back into the cave. Um, His flashlight is now dead and his leg is bleeding um and up until this point he and this was real though too this i, I know that he, he really did cut his leg and i think it did get infected in, in real life as well yes they stopped the shoot for three days because he had a staph infection and basically he would have died if he hadn't gone yeah. to the hospital uh so yeah he you know he he did injure himself during this in addition to obviously all the weight loss um but yeah they shut down production for three days while they wait for tom hanks to recover um fortunately he did um, at this point, Chuck decides that rather than just hoarding all the packages and not opening them, he's going to open all the packages and find out what's inside. Almost see if there's not. anything that can. Well, cause, well as yes. we know, he his he didn't want to open any of the packages because he was hoping to get rescued really quickly and then deliver all these packages because that's what. Yes. Yeah. That's that's in that's in the back of his mind is yeah. I'm going to deliver all these packages. As it is, he opens up the first one and it's just got a bunch of videotapes, uh, which he just pours out and doesn't bother really looking at the second one contains uh a, some divorce papers so there's a couple out there who aren't divorced because the papers got lost on this island uh the third is a volleyball uh manufactured by the wilson company uh i'm sure that will play absolutely no part in the story uh next he has really? a couple of ice skates that. yeah <laughs> it was subtle um uh, next he has a couple of ice skates and i think the joke is obviously he's on a tropical island he won't need ice skates uh, but obviously that's not funny because those ice skates have got two very sharp blades and those will turn out to be very, very handy. Um, and then there's a dress. I thought that a VCR was coming too and he was going to like <laughs> electrical source with the VCR and like play the videotapes. If if this was Gilligan's Island, that is what would have happened. They would have well, figured the out pre- a way the to play those tapes. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, and he also has a dress which, you know, doesn't appear to be that useful, but obviously he can use the materials and in particular the netting. Um, and he finds the final package, which is the Anderson package, which we saw at the beginning of the film, which has the little wings like drawn on it. And he decides not to open that package. He will, you know, he's I think in the back of his mind, he's like, I will deliver at least one of these packages. Well, I, I, um, I don't think it's the same package from the beginning I, because it's you the know, package that was sent at the from the husband to the wife. At the beginning, the wife sends uh, Bettina, right? Sends yeah. the package to Russia. It gets to Russia. Her husband, you know, is there with his mistress. He he takes the package, okay? And then we don't see... The, I mean, he, he goes back from Russia to 
to to Memphis. And then he's in Memphis, and then he's taking another plane from Memphis to I think I think he said that he's on his way to Malaysia. I think that's yeah. Which then makes you wonder, okay, if why Bettina wouldn't be sending the divorce papers back to Malaysia at this point. So no, she that... must be somebody sending something else because she tells Ramon at the beginning, you know, come back on Thursday. I have something else to send. You know, she's creating her art or whatever she's doing and she's sending it to different places. So we never, we never really find out what specifically is in that package. But my assumption is it's not the divorce papers. You know, it's not coming back. I didn't say husband, I it's not going didn't to say it was the divorce papers. I'm sorry. I didn't say it was divorce. Right. Papers. No, 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 I'm saying I don't think it's coming from her husband because if he's in Russia, if he's in Moscow and she's in Texas, so a plane going to Malaysia probably wouldn't be taking well, stuff, but it's something the two of them. It, but it's something from somewhere to her, though. That we correct. Out. Yeah. Yes. Which I but think. Again, which I. It's it's really but it's because, because he's it's got the, the wings and on. a package to her. Is why is that going on a flight to Malaysia? I mean, that, that's one of the few uh, holes in this movie about how exactly the the package to her and you know who knows to where I, all these these packages are supposed to be going. But if the plane is going to Malaysia, so I feel that those packages are all there. I feel that they open the film showing us Bettina and her little wings, and they want to finish the film doing that. So this package got, yeah, no, rooted through a hub or something, and that's okay. that's why. Yeah, it's, yeah for sure. The, yeah, obviously, there's there. So but it, it is the only to, to the package from from Bettina, no question. Or it is it it is the only package, obviously, that he he leaves closed. Uh, like I said, probably in the back of his mind, he's determined to deliver at least one of these packages. Uh, the volleyball did have a very nice note uh, in it. It was a birthday present, and it had a birthday card that said "Happy Birthday from Grandpa." So uh, again, I don't think there's a, there's any reason focusing on that volleyball. It's not going to be important in this film. Um, and so he starts to take apart the dress. In particular, he sees that obviously the you know the the netting that's around it because it's like a tutu type thing. Uh, he can use that to make a fishing net so that he can go into the sea and you know sieve it and then bring up some fish, uh, which he does. And he brings up one tiny little fish, which he eats whole <laughs> because obviously he's very hungry and he just needs some protein and he does not like the taste of this tiny little fish that he eats. Um, but he's very also much reminded the... me of uh, Kevin Klein and Fish Called Wanda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, don't uh, eat green ones. They're not ripe yet. Yes. And uh, well, yes. Yeah, so uh, but what I like here is obviously now that he's got the skates, he can use the sharp blades to cut things. And so he makes himself a pointy stick um, so that he can kill a crab. And he he manages. He sees a crab and that's what motivates him to make the pointy stick. He makes the pointy stick. He stabs the crab and he is successful in can he, in getting the crab. But then when he takes the crab claw off uh, the meat inside uh, is just all liquidy and he is not impressed with, <laughs> with that. Um, he obviously forgets that, you know, uh, most crab meat is cooked. So uh, you need to cook it to get it to stay together. You can't just pull off crab's legs and start drinking their protein. It's not going to do, it's not really going to work for you. Um, and so obviously I think this is the motivation for him to make fire. Like he realizes this so far, he's been kind of surviving just eating coconuts and occasionally you now catching tiny little fish, but he needs to do something so that he can cook some of the food so that he can stay alive. Um, and once he's made a shelter, uh, which includes a bed of 
you know, now empty FedEx boxes. Uh, he starts uh, trying to make fire and he ends up cutting his hand, which, of course, he gets frustrated and he throws the volleyball with his cut hand. Um, uh, again, uh, don't think that's going to figure into much. Um, except, of course, uh, once he's finished being angry, he picks the volleyball up and he sees the blood and he makes a little face in the blood and he calls it Wilson. Um, and for the rest of the film, Wilson will be the co-star of Tom Hanks. Um, and what I like is that this, like the whole Wilson thing, obviously 20 years later, it's a bit of a meme. There's a funny episode of Family Guy where they show uh, Tom Hanks on the raft screaming Wilson and Wilson the volleyball like kind of goes, my name is Voight. And then he kind of like jumps off the raft and, <laughs> you know, so like the fact that he's screaming Wilson is it's impolite because that's not his name. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I just like this as like kind of the only the only way to like, I mean, you know, when you say it's Tom Hanks stuck on an island for a couple of hours, that film would be very difficult. Um, and in fact, what they did in the script was they wrote lines for Wilson. So when Tom Hanks talks to him or replies to him. Um, in the script, Tom Hanks knew what Wilson had, had just said. And I think as viewers, you can kind of discern in some situations exactly what Wilson had said or what he's replying to. Um, but for Tom, there was a script that had Wilson's lines for him to kind of act against. Um, and I think this is kind of the essence of the performances, both the fact that he the way that he kind of um, survives, like the physical transformation is part of it. But just, you know, the way his skills will improve, as we'll see in a bit. Um, but also, you know, the way he sells the desperation and then the way he, that he acts against Wilson. Um, you know, Alice, you are the newest viewer of this. Uh, how did you feel about Wilson and his, his kind of birth here and then, uh, you know, what he becomes? Oh, I, I, I loved Wilson. Um, I was happy that because, I, you know, I was, I was realizing kind of, you know, getting into the, into the film that this is going to be an entire film with not that much or I mean it's basically monologuing so not really any dialogue for, for a huge portion of the film so I'm happy that he had Wilson um, I just watched somebody posted the special features it was like the the somebody recorded Wilson's lines um, it's, on, it's on YouTube and it's I mean the, the top comment is, is the best because it says if Danny DeVito and Tom Hanks did I think it's 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 so funny. It oh my, I almost you know sent it to you guys before recording because it was just so funny. Um, I hope it was on the real DVD cause, or the 15th anniversary DVD because um, it was yeah somebody recorded those lines you know as if and uh, yeah I mean look if if you're gonna write some some lines that Wilson would have said you gotta be the screenwriter that just you know goes balls to the wall with it because. That's that that looks pretty fantastic. No, Wilson Wilson was great. He, he really held his own. Um, I know three volleyballs played him. So <laughs> yes, yeah. Uh, such a demanding. And where role. are they now? Where are they now? Uh, I want to know. One apparently one of them was sold to the CEO of um, of FedEx. Although somebody also said that wasn't one of the real ones. So. You know, but you can on the Wilson website. You can buy a Wilson volleyball with the with the markings if you wish. Um, so you know, if you want to be a, a super fan, then you know you can. Or if you want to just play volleyball with a ball that looks like he's got a bloody hand on, then you know, uh, you can do that. Uh, we see him struggle to finally get fire going. 
he he figures out how to do it. Uh, he gets a bit of kindling and he starts to get a bit of smoke uh, from the friction. Um, and what I like is obviously, I mean, this is kind of, again, this is one of those scenes that kind of became quite well known is once he's made the fire, he starts singing like my fire by the doors <laughs> and, and he starts kind of yelling at the fire. Look what I've done. I have made fire. Um, and I think it's kind of like it's it's what I like is this is kind of the goofiest part of the performance uh, when he's just like singing like my fire while he's literally got a fire going. Um, and he's, you know, the kind of, ex like up until this point, he's been a bit beaten down by the fact that everything he seems to be doing kind of is failing a little bit. Um, so the fact that he celebrates, you know, the, kind of the, the successful fire um, is quite charming. Um, and of course, then he cooks himself some crab legs. So we see the progress of the fact that before he was just kind of having like, um, I don't know what you call it, like crab muscle juice or whatever on his fingers. And now he's actually got a substantial kind of meal, uh, finally. Um, but of course, this makes him realize that the tooth that was uh, seeded earlier as, a, as an issue um, has become a very serious problem. Um, and there is a bit of joking because his former dentist was called Dr. Spaulding, uh, which obviously is another sporting reference. And so the fact that he's telling Wilson this is uh, fairly humorous. Um, but he, he knows that he's got to take his tooth out. Um, you know, it's becoming too painful. Um, and so he does this by getting one of the ice skates and a stone and he decides to do some home homemade dentistry by um, forcing his tooth out by whacking it with the the top of the um the top of the the, the ice skate um and of course this is the moment at which once he he, he does it successfully um i don't think i'd be able to do that personally yeah, that's pretty impressive to, i don't think i would be able to do that. yeah yeah and once he does it though unfortunately the pain causes him to pass out and he just collapses um and then we are four years later um <laughs> a lot of time has gone by uh the crew took a year off went and made a different film came back tom hanks lost a ton of weight um grew himself a beard and some extremely blonde hair and uh yeah we get the you know the, the kind of uh, the, the typeface just says four years later and we see a spear fly into the water and get a fish and we learned that now over the years obviously he has become an extremely skilled spear fisherman um you know he's fully moved into the cave uh using a uh, a light spot on the wall he has figured out uh, a calendar um you know so he knows what uh, month of the year it is and he knows how many years it's been himself um you know all of which uh you know is uh, you know quite ingenious Right. I mean, one of the things that they, they, they show us right before we, we make the four-year jump is he also then tries to figure out the search area that they're, that, that they're looking for. And he says, oh, that's really that's the twice, twice the size of Texas. And then he, he realizes that no one's going to be able to save him at this point. He's got to do it himself. Um, and then, as you said, the, the fact that they have the, you know, the way that, that, that he's able to figure out where the, you know, where the sun is to tell him what month it is and stuff like that. That's just, it says so much about the, these, these sailing skills that he must've learned uh, years earlier. Yeah. And most obviously, of us wouldn't be able to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> I think, well, because he's got this pocket watch, um, as long as you can find North with a pocket, you know, and you can line 12 o'clock up against it, you can use that to figure out a lot of stuff. So, um, you know, Nothing that I'd be able to do at this very moment, but I'm sure with a bit of research, I'd be able to figure it out. But yeah, as but long if you're on a plane watch... that, that crashes, you're not going to have time to do that research. Uh, no, I'm not. 
but obviously, because Tom Hanks' character here is a sailor, he, he that is something, obviously, that he knows how to do, is how to figure out stuff like that. So Convenient. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But, the, um, well, you know, if the film was a guy who wasn't a sailor, I guess he'd be dead in the first month. So yeah. four years later, it would just be a skeleton on a beach. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, you know, I'm sure there's dozens of people who were in plane crashes that didn't survive. And this isn't the story of those. Is right. it? You know, you follow the story of the person who survives. Um, uh, part of the toilet from, I'm assuming from the airplane, but this is four years later. So God knows where it's come from. Um, washes up. And obviously, this is you know he's he he has got an idea of how to make um, you know a raft and the kind of the plastic the kind of the two plastic doors kind of give him the idea of using those as a sail basically. Um, and we find out that Wilson has grown himself a head of hair, by um, <laughs> because he's been turned into a plant pot essentially. Um, it's those and I seeds like that, that were in the uh, package. Yeah. Uh, and so, well, I mean, he's on an island that's got a lot of kind of foliage, so I'm sure something could have just been planted in there. Um, but I like that he, like, I mean, you know, it's taken him four years, but I think those doors are the thing, like, are the final thing that he needs. You know, he's obviously had an idea of, of what he needs to build a raft and what he can use to, you know, put it together, because obviously uh, during this time he's also been making some rope for himself. We'll find out for why in a bit. Um, and, you know, he has the videotapes that he can use to bind stuff together. You know, there's a lot of tape in those those tapes. Uh, you know, like it goes on for, you know, a good few meters. So, um, you know, the, the kind of this toilet door, he, he as he talks to Wilson, he discusses, you know, obviously he needs to wait for the correct weather. Um, you know, the wind is in the wrong direction. You know, he, he needs to make sure that when he goes out, it doesn't it doesn't go like last time with the raft where basically he got held back by the tide. Um, you know, so obviously calculating the times of the year and, you know, the various tides and stuff is is obviously very important. And we kind of I don't know, we kind of start like a, you know, a raft making montage as he kind of gets together all the logs. Uh, he uses the fire to kind of cut them down because, you know, a lot quicker than him kind of. I don't know, hitting at them with the, uh, you know, the, the ice skates. Um, and he kind of calculates how much he'll need to to bind them together. He kind of tears down some smaller trees so that he can make, uh, you know, ropes. Um, and this is when we get the kind of, um, you know, conversation where he, you know, he doesn't want to go back up to the high point to retrieve some rope that he left up there. Um, and, of course, we find out what he did. Um, you know, when he was up there, he made himself a noose. And, you know, he has this conversation with Wilson where, you know, he basically tells the audience he tested it and it didn't, you know, basically the tree broke. And if he'd have tried to do that to himself, he would have ended up landing on some rocks and basically just breaking his back and just having a slow death. And, you know, so he that's why he didn't use the noose. But again, this like we've skipped forward four years, but obviously... You know, even though he seems more like he's surviving here and kind of almost thriving a little bit on the island, I like that there is this kind of hint of, you know, he he was thinking of killing himself because he didn't think he would ever get off the island. Now, I, I read something and I, I I found different sources that said different things, so I'm not really sure, that, that they said that in the original theatrical cut, there was a scene of him doing that. Now, I don't remember seeing that. And, and, and the weird thing is, I, I looked, do remember. There, I couldn't that. find on on online any real references yeah. to it, except for one that said 
that it was in in the original uh, thing. But I'm glad that they don't show it. They let us imagine it. I think it 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 uh, works much better this way. I distinctly remember seeing the scene where he was at the top, where there was already we had already seen the news, and it was at the at, like at the top of the cliff, and he was um, pu- like putting it up, ready to use. But maybe I'm just imagining that. Um, Why would they cut it out though? That's the thing. That that that's the question. I, that I, I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, we kind of see that that he did reach the the kind of depths of despair of you know thinking of just killing himself rather than trying to get off the island. Right. Oh yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it definitely uh, makes it feel a lot more real and a lot you know, a lot less goofy than than what uh, you know some of the references that that, that 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 he himself has already made that and that you've made with like Gilgan's Island. You know, that's there's this is a serious situation and and you know his. Uh, you know, uh, fear that he won't get off did uh, get him to think that way and actually go about testing it, at least. At least he tested it. <laughs> and I think it's funny as well because it's like he didn't want to go back up there, but he does need the rope. <laughs> so, um, yeah. and also I think, like, it demonstrates that, like, you know, he could have easily gone up to a cliff and jumped off or something to his death. Like, you know, that would have been fairly easy to do. But the fact that he spent the time making the rope, like that shows that he kind of maybe was, you know, kind of maybe thinking twice. Like if he if he's making the rope, then, you know, maybe once he finishes making the rope, it would have passed and he would have, you know, he'd be more kind of open to getting off the island. You know, there's maybe like just an idea that, you know, he wasn't just going to, you know, try and take his life that quickly. You know, he's putting some thought into it and he's also thinking you know, he didn't want to kind of do it and do it wrong. And that's why he also built like the test of me. But again, that feels like something where he's like, he did that as kind of almost like an excuse, like, you know, he can try it. And if it doesn't, if it works, then obviously he'll do it. But if it doesn't work, then that gave him an out. Um, you know, so I think that's kind of interesting that, you know, he kind of gave himself that kind of put himself in that position, probably through some long conversations they had with Wilson, because obviously Wilson seems like the more sane one at this particular point. Um, and at this point, when he's trying to retrieve the rope and the testing, he almost loses Wilson. Wilson falls off the cliff and he kind of goes down and retrieves Wilson and gets him back. So Wilson's fine. Don't worry about Wilson. I'm sure he'll survive to the end of the film and he'll be coming back uh, to Memphis with him. Nothing will happen to Wilson. Um, I like that he set up a kind of windsock so he can check the direction of the wind <laughs> before he launches. Uh, he's also got like a whole launch thing set up here with some logs to have the raft go down into the sea. Uh, you know, he's done from you know start from a guy who can only catch like a tiny little fish to a guy who's built a full you know raft um you know held together with vhs tapes and you know rope made from uh you know tree bark i think he's doing quite well um and i do i do love you know we're an hour and a half into the film we've basically been kind of with tom for a full hour by himself basically on the island you know there haven't been any other people um and i like that you know the kind of the raft looks i mean the raft looks pretty cool if if we're talking you know like uh and uh, the kind of the the use of the the kind of plastic sail as well is like an interesting thing you know it's uh again obviously this is a person who knows how to sail so doesn't necessarily mean he could put a raft together but obviously he can put a raft together because he's put a raft together so um but uh, you know i i like i like that he knows that this is the right time to launch the raft and you know the kind of the objective of just getting past the surf so that he can get into the sea and then the tide will take him and then you know he can also use the uh 
you know, the sail. And he launches the raft and, uh, you know, obviously Wilson is is on there with him. He's kind of built a body for Wilson as well, which I think is quite funny. He's kind of um, he's kind of given him an arm. So, so, he's, so the head is mounted on something. So he looks like, you know, uh, a, a crew member um, and they can't. No, he's 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 the navigator. Uh, as they get into the water, obviously, we see that there is a wave coming and it is quite big. And they he picks just the right moment to uh, to launch the sail. It catches the wind and it takes him to the top of the wave. Um, and then once they're over that wave, they're into the sea and you know they they kind of you know they start sailing out and you know uh they they you know they they leave the island behind you know and it is a bit of a point moment where they turn around and they see the island um you know that obviously has been his home for the past you know four years um you know some good memories there some bad memories yeah darren uh, can i, I can just think... take one step back for a few seconds they, go for it the uh right before he leaves so he he writes a note on the side of uh one of the the large rocks uh, oh, yes, uh, because yes. he he basically does not uh, you can assume from this he doesn't really believe that he's going to make it safely so he leaves a message and it basically says chuck nolan was here 1500 days escaped the sea tell kelly freer's memphis tennessee that i love her so yeah it's a little sentimental uh type of message for him to leave there you know you you, you wonder if anyone would ever actually see it <laughs> Yeah, for the, for the next person who's I don't know plane crashes and they and they end up stuck on this island. Yeah, and um, th- think about if if that's you and you see that someone was stuck here fifteen hundred days, you're like, oh crap! <laughs> yeah, getting out of here that quickly. I'd say that he did he did pierce his raft quite quickly in. So if you can hang on to your raft, you might be able to get out there a bit quicker. Um, but yeah, to indicate that we are at sea, a whale comes past and uh, sprays some water out of his blowhole um and you know it's at least it's nice that they're kind of making some progress <laughs> um and then of course uh we get a storm did, uh, did any of you notice uh, that that this entire movie doesn't have music there's no uh score yeah until he actually breaks through the the tide and that's when the score, yeah. score begins it's yes. amazing that you have a movie that uh, for an hour and a half you just have the sounds of the ocean and sounds of of everything going on without any music whatsoever until you know he reaches this his his new adventure i guess you can call it i mean it's interesting because obviously as well like i said when they were filming on the beach the sound of the the like waves was so loud that they basically had to like adr everything right <laughs> so and they had to sound design everything so you know, for an hour, you've been hearing the sound of a beach, but it's not the beach that was recorded, right. um, you know, when they were doing the actual lines. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting that like how it's basically artificial beach uh, until they get out to sea. And then obviously, uh, you know, it's just sound of water, isn't it? So, yeah. And the score obviously comes in to let us know that, you know, uh, Chuck is succeeding. Um, and there's we hope. get a storm. Yes. Well, this is it. We get a storm and it takes the sail. The plastic sail gets pulled off. Um, and then, um, you know, after afterwards in the calm, obviously Chuck is is resting because obviously it was a difficult storm. And then tragedy occurs. We see that Wilson is kind of bobbing up and down on the, the little kind of thing that he's on. Uh, I don't know what you call that, like a lever. He's like bouncing up and down on. And then, of course, he gently falls off into the sea. Um, and Chuck kind of is woken up again by some whales spraying some water. 
and he sees that uh, Wilson is in the ocean, and this is when he screams Wilson uh, quite a lot. And then he jumps in and tries to retrieve Wilson, and then obviously he realizes he's going too far away from his raft. He can't f- go any further. He grabs like the uh, the kind of uh, the rope you call it, like it's, the rope. The what's the what? Sorry, he had a rope. The rope, yes. That's what I was looking for. The word was rope. Uh, he grabs the rope that kind of is attached so that he can kind of swim away from the raft to get to kind of fish and stuff. Um, and he can't go any further, and Wilson floats off into the distance. And obviously he, he kind of sobs about losing Wilson. He gets back onto the boat, and he kind of, you know, mourns the loss of Wilson. Um, and the weirdest... There's a crazy point there where he where he actually lost hold of the rope. And yes. you feel yeah. like, oh, man, so he's going to go ahead and try to swim out to it and probably not make it back oh my god this is how this awful film ends unless you knew the <laughs> secret from the trailer and so forth but yeah. um but then uh he does he, he regains a rope but then still can't still wants to go after still wants to try to reach somehow yeah but, but can't and realizes he needs to hold on it's back and yeah and then that awful that awful crying he has because well, this was his companion for four years yeah i know yeah. It's weird because obviously, you know, to a lot of people, it's just a volleyball. But uh, you feel the loss that, that that Chuck Nolan feels here. And it does genuinely feel sad that Wilson is floating off into the ocean. Um, and I, I mean, it, you know, obviously in the years since people have kind of made fun of the idea of, you know, uh, of kind of the volleyball and stuff. But like within like outside the context of the film, it seems ridiculous. But within the context of the film, you have like a solid like 45 minutes where the character of Wilson is is you know what tom hanks is playing off of um and kind of you know the fact that he kind of gets into arguments with him and kind of discusses ideas with him and stuff um you know you do kind of genuinely miss him um and even though uh, you know we're we're like you know still like 45 minutes from the end A sea comes past, a ship comes past, and you know, while Chuck is kind of floating around, first of all, there's kind of like a spray of water, and you think, "Oh, it's another whale!" Like, well, you'd be happy that there are no sharks around there. (laughs) Well, I guess just friendly whales. Uh, Yeah, uh, who who are willing to spray water at at intervals to wake him up, Um, and so obviously a container ship comes past. Um, You know, uh, something maybe that will recur for Tom Hanks. Uh, Maybe in a future career, he'll. He'll maybe, uh, you know, be put in charge of one of those things. In a different part of the um, world. And okay. Yeah, and as it comes past, because uh, they do have, like, water hoses on the side. So I'm guessing someone is, like, I don't know if, if they're spraying the water hoses down the side of the ship to kind of clean it or something, and some of it kind of sprays off onto him. But it kind of wakes him they up. Obviously, what's funny before they bring him on board. Well, the funny thing is, it seems like he is sleeping just with this ship going behind him. And there's a moment where you think maybe he'll just stay asleep and the the ship will just go past him. He won't see it. Uh, But obviously he wakes up and he tries with, you know, what's left of his energy to shout up to the the crew. Um, And, you know, we then immediately cut to Helen Hunt, um, who gets a phone call. Uh, We see that Chris Noth is there for some reason. and she kind of faints. And that is where, effectively, the second act of this film finishes. And then we cut to four weeks later. Um, and, you know, Chuck, we, we see at his feet is like a, a FedEx welcome mat uh, with their logo in. 
um, and he's on a plane. And of course, uh, as is his preference, uh, they offer him some Dr. Pepper. Uh, I have to assume that is some kind of callback to Forrest Gump. There's no way it can't you be think? with Robert Zemeckis. <laughs> yeah, with Robert Zemeckis and Tom Hanks involved. It's got to be a callback. Um, but yeah, I, I, I like that obviously, you know, Stan uh, is here. Uh, he's still employed by FedEx. Um, and, you know, he kind of has to explain to him what has happened in the intervening years, you know. He's been declared dead, basically. Uh, they had a funeral. <laughs> they all put, you know, they had a coffin. They put stuff in it. Uh, there was a coffin? There was, yeah. yeah, they said they put stuff in the, the, the empty coffin. What is what is funny is that um, uh, I'm not sure if any here anyone here is aware of the uh, Welsh band Manic Street Preachers. Uh, oh, yeah. But they had a guitarist who went missing. Uh, I don't know how many years ago it is now, like 20 years, probably t- almost 23, 24 years ago. And um, for many, many years, it was like, you know, Richie Edwards is still alive. Until seven years, I don't know if this is different in other countries, but in the UK, you have to be missing seven years before you can be legally declared dead. It's not something I ever um, tried to research. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the same is true of uh, Madeleine McCann. Obviously, she went missing more than seven years ago. At seven years, they declared her legally dead. Like, that is the point at which you can do it. So the fact that they, like, within four years, they were like, yeah, he's dead. Like, that seems a little quick to me. <laughs> like, just give him a few more years. Well, the you know, like went down, you know. Still, it almost seemed like it must be about a couple years, roughly, because I mean, he's got she's got this new life. I mean, it's not like this new life could have just sprung up the day before. No, uh, I don't know what you're trying to suggest. You think she was having an affair with this dentist? Um, <laughs> I mean, he is he is notoriously known as Mister Big. So, um, yeah. So Stan explains what happened while he's he's gone. You know, like obviously Kelly, you know, moved on. His family declared him dead. Um, and, you know, obviously he realizes that, Ma- you know, Mary, uh, Stan's wife, who had cancer before, you know, he left, she must be dead as well. And so obviously he passes condolences on. Um, and, you know, he's told that when he gets back, you know, there'll be a bit of a ceremony. You know, they're going to kind of parade him around a little bit because obviously he's back from the dead. And, um, you know, after that, you know, he'll meet Kelly and then they've got some paperwork to fill in. Um, and... The horrifying part is that potentially if, um, Chuck had made that call of, um, to the doctor about Stan's wife, then maybe she wouldn't be dead. So there's a lot more like horrifying implications to that if he hadn't been marooned. Yes, it's also I mean, sad that he apologized and he's the one that was, you know, marooned on an island. So yeah, which I think is meant to show the kind of change in him because obviously he wasn't fully aware of Stan's situation four years previously and kind of he overheard somebody else talking about it and that's what prompted him to mention that he knew this doctor whereas here he he's he's apologizing for not being able to give that information and not being able to help you know save her it's not really any anything not, not really anything that was in his control anyway you know um so it is kind of an interesting kind of change in in his personality in terms of like you know he's kind of a bit more humble um And so he gets back to the uh, FedEx facility. There's a big FedEx plane outside. There's lots of FedEx planes on the other side. There's FedEx all over the place. <laughs> and he's on screen with the FedEx CEO who welcomes him back from the dead. He says, obviously, four years ago, we lost five FedEx brothers and one of them has come back to us. 
And I like that it's obviously recorded earlier, and yet it's playing inside like the FedEx headquarters. I don't know if it's on a loop or whatever, but obviously he enters the building while it's already on TV, so there's like two Chuck Nolans there. Um, <clears throat> and of course it is at this point that I should say, uh, if you have his initial C uh, for Chuck, and you have his surname, mm. No Land, then you see No Land, um, which is apparently extremely intentional by the writer. <laughs> Um, that was like a really weird hidden joke for people. So it's like his name is literally he sees no land. Um, but yeah, so he w- he was thinking he was going to meet Kelly. Uh, obviously, he's been already been told she moved on, and instead he gets to meet Detective Mike Logan from Law and Order. That is right. Uh, Chris Noth is here. I love Chris Noth, one of my favorites from Law and Order. And he just kind of shows up. He's obviously, you know, he's a dentist that was recommended by Dr. Spaulding. Again, they bring that, that little joke back. Um, yeah. And so, um, yeah, he, you know, Kelly's moved on. She, you know, she she hasn't come, he, he says. And, you know, rather it's, you know, he's just here to kind of. He lies. Well, yes. Well, this is it. Yeah. He, you know, he, he says to he says to Chuck, she's not here. She couldn't come. She, you know, she didn't know what to do. So she's, you know, stayed at home. Um, and, you know, nice to have you back, but uh, goodbye. And so off he goes. And Chuck goes and looks out the window and he sees that actually Kelly is there. She's in the car in the car park. And we kind of see. We see, uh, you know, the dentist here encouraging her. Like she's trying to go into the building and he keeps seem to be holding her back. Um, and which I kind of sort of makes sense. You know, he's trying to kind of protect her. You know, she already fainted just from the phone call. So, you know, God knows what's going to happen when she actually meets Chuck in the flesh. Um, so, you it's know. It's so rude, though. It's like, here's the new guy. He's going to meet you. I, that's just, I mean, that's just rude. I don't I don't think she would have been that that rude to him. Um, I'm mean, really putting that in his face. Uh, from his point of view, this is the mother of his children now. So, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, no, I, no, yeah, I understand that. That's just some ex-boyfriend who got washed up on an island for four years. <laughs> you know, he's he's trying to kind of protect her and you know make sure that she doesn't get overwhelmed by the situation. Um, but you know, Chuck goes to a party with his, uh, you know, the rest of his kind of work colleagues. Um, you know, Stan emphasizes that you know. Uh, if there's anything that he wants while he's being put up in this hotel by FedEx, all he's got to do is sign for it and they'll pay for it. You know, nothing is, is too much. Um, I'm guessing that wherever he was, you know, renting or whatever his home situation is, that's probably been gone a long time. So he's probably got nowhere to stay. Tonight. No, he was living with, um, with Kelly. Was he living with Kelly? Oh yeah, they were. Yeah. They had like a joint voice, voice message, didn't yeah. they? Um, yeah. So, but yeah, but I mean, he can't go back there, can he? That's not his house anymore. Yeah, I know. Um, you know, there's another guy there, um, and he's just encouraged Kelly not to come in and see him. So, uh, yeah, so he's in he's in the hotel, and I like how he kind of goes through all the food. Obviously, they've got like sushi, uh, which you know, obviously a reference to the fact that he literally was eating raw fish straight out of the ocean. Um, and he finishes looking at this kind of spread of like crab meat, and obviously picks it up and then puts it back down because I'm guessing he doesn't want to eat any more crab meat for the rest of his life. Um, and you know he's just kind uh, you know, of despondent. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he he has like this fire lighter as well, which he kind of turns, you know, he, he, he ignites it and it's kind of very easy to kind of create fire. And it's kind of funny that he struggled for kind of hours and hours probably, to do this. He probably put that in his pocket. 
<laughs> yeah, well, this is it. Yeah, don't ever be without it. Uh, we see that he's kind of sleeping on the floor. I'm guessing he's got used to the kind of uh, the stiff back of a cave floor, so he, he, he doesn't want to kind of sleep. And he keeps kind of turning the light off and on. Uh, I'm guessing to kind of, I don't know, kind of comfort himself that he is kind of home. Um, and he's looking and, and then, he's looking at the picture of, of Kelly. On, on, yeah, on the watch. on the watch. Yeah, which obviously was, you know, the only thing that he, I think he's managed to bring back from the island. Um, aside from the package, which he taped up and, you know, stuck onto the boat and he's managed to bring it, you know, um, back. Uh, we did see it on the raft. Obviously, we haven't heard anything about it since. Um, uh, he decides that he's going to go and see Kelly because this film uh, needs to be over two hours and we still got, I don't know, 20 minutes left. Um, so, <laughs> 26, um, almost he, 27 minutes left. Yeah, so he, he so he decides to go see Kelly. Um, and, you know, she kind of says that they searched in the wrong place, basically, for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then they gave up on the search. And, you know, basically, you know, she didn't want to give up. You know, she thought he was alive. But everyone else was like, move on, you know, like, uh, like just get on, go on to the next guy. Forget about him. Forget about uh, forget about Chuck. He's gone. He's dead. The plane crashed. Nobody's come back from it. You know, we searched as much as we could. We're calling off the search. Uh, you know, that's it. It's over. Um, and obviously she, you know, she didn't want to do that. Uh, she wanted to kind of keep, uh, you know, keep keep going. Um, and, you know, to, to evidence the fact that she thought he was still alive. Uh, she takes him out to the garage and uh, they still have got the same car. The car that obviously he gave her the keys to just before he gave her the engagement ring in the box. Um, and, you know, just before he said he'd be right back. And she actually says, you know, you said you'd be right back. And, you know, it's, you know, he's kind of amazed that they've got the same car. But uh, it's only four years later. Um, Chuck, I don't know how to tell you this. <laughs> like, I, I, are you buying a new car every year? What's going on? Like, how wealthy do they pay these FedEx people? Um, well, he was yeah, barely so, using the know, car because he's flying all over the world, so he wasn't really using that. There wasn't that much wear and tear on the car. No, but still, at the same time, like somebody still having the same car four years later is not a huge like surprise. But you know, no, they want to make it a bit more sentimental. That the car still is there, as opposed to they should have sold it. Because I mean, when he's looking around the house, he sees you know her new family life. He sees pictures from from her wedding. She sees pictures, you know, with with her and her daughter, and and pictures with her and her husband and things like that. So he he's starting to get the impression that okay, uh, she really has moved on. I'm not a part of her life. So maybe she got rid of my car, and she didn't. Okay, and uh, <laughs> and so uh, she gives him his car because he, you know, he's like a, you know you give me the car and she's like it's my it's your car you know like have the keys here's the keys uh she said i just gotta get some stuff out the back which obviously is a car seat and some kind of you know kid stuff um and you know he says this is lucky because his taxi's left so <laughs> he, i don't know how much he gave the taxi driver either when he he said how much does this get me and he's like 10 minutes yeah it looked uh, like he was pulling out hundreds who knows yeah, it did look like it looked like FedEx had given him like a ver like a like a thousand dollars per diem or something to kind of get him around, you know, some walking about money. And it, the taxi driver's like, "It'll get you ten minutes." Um, personally, I've never done that with a taxi driver, where I've gone somewhere and then told the taxi driver to wait or whatever. Normally, when I get out of a taxi, that's the end of our transaction. Um, yeah. You know, maybe they were just singles. Over. Maybe he said, "Here's five bucks. How long can that last me?" <laughs> yeah, I mean, even then, ten ten minutes for five bucks in two thousand—that's 
that's you know that's a that's a handsome sum uh today that would be i don't know five hundred dollars i'm not sure what inflation is like um and so um <laughs> as like you know after she, after they've taken everything out of the car you know they kiss uh, which I'm sure was, you know, nominated for uh, MTV Movie Award for Best Kiss in a Movie. Um, uh, I don't think it was this one, actually. I think it's the next one. Um, it was the Kiss of Wilson, wasn't it? No, no, Best Duo I, for, I for said him and Wilson. it was the Kiss with Wilson. I don't recall him kissing Wilson at any point. Um, yeah, that, that was a joke. Sorry. All right. <laughs> 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 Uh, and so after they kiss, he drives off. And of course, she immediately changes her mind and kind of runs out screaming, chuck, 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 chuck. And um, somehow he hears her and he he, he backs the car up. Um, it's in the pouring rain, obviously, because this for some reason now we've slipped into a rom-com. Um, and, you know, he they kind of kiss again in the rain. And, you know, uh, they get in the car and he's like, uh, you know, do you have to go back to your husband? <laughs> and I, I mean, I don't think Chuck is the kind of person to break up a marriage, but I, I don't know. It's, it, I guess he's, he's just giving it one last try before he kind of leaves with his car, um, you know, to, to finally kind of get back with her. But she obviously is like, no, I'm going to have to go back to my husband and my kids. Um, and so she does. Um, and then uh, we get a scene, which I feel is a bit unnecessary, but I guess they had to put it in where he goes to see Stan and he's kind of talking to him about how he made these gallows and he tested them. Um, and to me, it feels a bit like we've already kind of we already knew this, like from seeing the gallows. We didn't really need to spend like five minutes with him and Stan kind of talking about it. Um, but I guess they feel like they've got to make it a bit more explicit about kind of, you know, how how bad things got on the island that he kind of considered that. No, I, 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 I got to disagree with you on that. I think that, that it is good that they put that in there. I know that you don't like the actor who plays Stan. So maybe that could be part of your problem here. <laughs> that might be it. Yeah. You know, you, you have to separate the actor from, from, from the, 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 the character, you know, <laughs> try, try, try. Yeah. And no, but, I'm, no, but the I'm kind of kidding because he's connecting yeah. with, with his friend from beforehand. And he's also telling us at the same time, how he actually got through those, those dark days on, on the, uh, you know, on the Island. One of the things is it, it actually reminded me a little bit about, you know, uh, you, you, you already talked about this a few weeks ago with uh, Sleepless in Seattle. You know, he's having the, the conversation on the phone where he's saying, well, I just get up every day and uh, start breathing. And here he basically says something quite similar to that along the way. You know, he, he basically says, uh, um, he talks about breathing also. I'm trying to remember the exact... Uh, phrasing that he uses but but it was pretty funny hearing him say the 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 same type of things in the same tone that he was that he did in sleepless where he's talking about the fact how he had you know no power over anything you know even even he couldn't even kill himself if he wanted to which is why he chose that he needed to find a way to live so i i actually think that is important because the conversation that he had with wilson the you know about why he doesn't want to go up and get the the rope and the fact that he mentions a little bit about the fact that he tried to commit suicide it's it's not as powerful as this scene this scene is much more powerful because you know he he's at a point in his life where he actually has to uh you know he's he's at a crossroads which is something that he was never in 
beforehand because he always you know the the love for kelly is one of the things that kept him going throughout the whole thing also and you know he no longer has that or he he can love her but he knows that she can't love him back so i mean i the, the, this movie deals a lot with this point right now of the crossroad i mean we're, we're we're just about to get to a scene where he's once again at a crossroad literally and the movie started off at a crossroad to to sort of you know hint at the fact that that that's what this whole idea is you know you you go through certain points in your life where you're going in one direction and then you reach a point where you have to make a decision as to where you're going and this is the point in his life where he's at that point I was kind of joking because obviously this is the best performance in the in the film from Tom Hanks here, kind of giving the motivations uh, behind what happened on the island. Right. Uh, okay, I misunderstood you know. that. I apologize. <laughs> no, because no, he basically you know, said I have to breathe through, even though there was no reason to hope. So he had to find a, a reason yeah. to hope until the you know the door showed up. Yeah, and I, I, I you know, obviously, uh, you know, like because throughout the film, although Tom has given a great performance. You know, here he is getting the the kind of the the space to be able to kind of give the motivations for the character and, and why he just you know he decided not to kill himself and kind of you know decided to get off the island, uh, even though it did take him like a year to kind of get a raft that was uh, strong enough to get him out of there. Um, but yeah, uh, and you know he has a package, uh, you know, in his car. He's playing some Elvis. Is he playing some Elvis or am I? Uh, I believe it is. Elvis yeah. at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, it was so, all shook up at the very beginning. Yeah. I'm positive there's another another uh, instance of Elvis, but I thought there was another song too, another more classic Rocky. Yeah. Yes, Return to Sender, that is yeah, the, that's, yeah. That's Elvis. Uh, and he has the Anderson package. Uh, we see him turn up to those gates we saw earlier, except one of the names is missing. Yes. So, that's, I love that. Obviously. It's like, that's another Zemeckis <laughs> uh, throwback. You know, the, the Lone yeah. Pie Mall as opposed to the Twin Pie Malls. Things yeah, like he's a, he likes to kind of convey things. So he goes. We also see that in the in the in the car, he he has a new volleyball. So I'm guessing he's going to find uh, the kid that should have had that volleyball present from four years earlier, and he's going to give him the new volleyball that his grandpa never managed to give him. Or he's just going to cut his hand and make himself a new Wilson. I don't know which way it's going to go uh, <laughs> in that particular regard. I, I assume I think... he's trying to track down every one of the people who who's. Yeah. Uh... Whose packages he had? I mean, maybe, yeah. I mean, maybe not the divorce papers. Uh, you know, maybe that's four years later. That's probably already solved itself. He doesn't want to kind of uh, turn up and be like, "Hey, here's some divorce papers that you didn't get four years ago." Well, I, I, it's unfortunate um, that he didn't have any real use for the paper along the way. You know, like the, yeah. the at the when they show the packages when he's stacking them up, there were there were uh, ten packages, but we only got him. We only saw five of them opened, and then. The, then there's this one, you know, that 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 he's delivering. So I was always curious as to what's in the other five packages. You know, that the part of the 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 way that the story uses these packages is to give him things to use later on. You know, the videotapes yeah. to use as for the rope or for, to to wrap things. You know, to tie things together, and then the the dress and the the ice skates and stuff. So I, I thought that was a very clever. Uh, way for them to to add much to the plot. So, like I said, it, it's it's strange that we never got to see what were in the other five packages. But then he has the papers that 
I guess it just kept, he could have something to read. I don't know. Read yeah. or toilet paper. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I would like to think that he married and divorced Wilson while he was on the island and he used the papers to divorce. Uh, he, you know, drew them up, used them as like a framework to draw up his own divorce papers. <laughs> um, you know, so he gets to the Anderson wrench and obviously, you know, he puts the package on the on the on the porch and he writes a little note to say that obviously this package saved his life. Uh, signs it Chuck Noland. Uh, I'm not sure what she's meant to do with that note because, uh, okay, so she knows his name is Chuck Noland, but it's not like he put his phone number on there. And it's just, she's just going to be like, okay, Chuck Noland, I guess. Where did he get the, um, her, her stationery from? And maybe, it's, maybe, maybe there was some on the porch or something for. Maybe. I don't know. It's it's a rural thing, isn't it? So maybe exactly. maybe she's got like a writing pad on there for people to leave her notes if they turn up. Um, as he exits, uh, we see that uh, Bettina is in her truck. Uh, he he has obviously got out because uh, you know he is as we said at a crossroads, and you know he doesn't he doesn't know like what to do, and so he's kind of just standing there looking at a map, and she drives past, and she's like, you know, where do you want to go? Uh, and so obviously he he points in various she points in various directions and says what is in each of those directions. Uh, the character of Bettina Peterson is played by a country music singer um, called Larry White uh, or Laurie White, maybe um, she died of cancer in 2018. Um, so uh, which is which was kind of surprising to me. She was very young, 52. Um you know, she uh, she was on like a talent show in 1988 and she signed with Nashville, uh, sorry, Capitol Records. And then she released a few albums. Uh, she appeared in Castaway in the year 2000. She released a couple more albums. Uh, she, she released a couple of EPs in 2017 and then she had a short bout of cancer and then she died. Um, and yeah, so this is, I think, literally the only appearance of her in any films uh she didn't do any films before this she didn't do any acting after this. no she's been in she's been according to imdb she's been in a few other roles she's five movie credits credits four sorry fifth one was announced but that uh right but they they were all very small parts she plays the housekeeper in one the actor playing suzanne in another one a hairstylist and bettina peterson (laughs) well yeah so but you know no real kind of big film role this is it like you know this is effectively her her acting career is just this one appearance uh telling him what's in each direction um you know and obviously he's trying to decide what to do and she leaves by saying good luck cowboy uh, a deliberate reference from robert zemeckis to uh tom hanks's role as Woody. Woody cowboy and uh you know that is that's where it ends here he's at a crossroads we don't know what happens next a lot of people feel that what he does immediately is follow her back to her house and and kind of go and explain what's going on with that package um but you know we get no f- i thought they like i don't i mean i feel like he shouldn't be working at fedex anymore i feel like give him his pension he's been through enough but uh yeah i couldn't figure out if he was still working there it seemed like he kind of just jumped right back into working there i mean he's he's like he's delivering this package that is literally hundreds of if not thousands of miles away from where he was living so i don't know that he's working for fedex i think you know if i if i was if i was in a fedex plane and it crashed and i survived for four years and i came back and in the in-between i was declared dead and then i had to be brought back to life uh, i would hope that fedex would say to me 
Um, don't worry about like your job. We would just give you a salary for the rest of your life, and we would just kind of. It felt like at like the the party or whatever the, the get together that they were kind of like, all right, you know, see you at work on Monday, you know, that kind. Of, I mean, I don't think things to say that, but like it felt very like he's just right back in, you know, into the groove that he used to be in. So. I think he's taking a, a leisurely time, to, like like we said, delivering the packages that were on the island. Well, that's also one of the things um, that he learned from being on the island, that, you know, you take your time with things. You don't have to rush everything. Yeah. Um, so I guess, you know, eventually all those people will get their packages. So uh, I'm guessing whoever was getting the ice skates, let's hope they haven't, like, grown a few sizes and they, you know, they still fit their feet or whatever. <laughs> um, you know, but... Yeah, so it, it feels like that's, you know, uh, I mean, there's there's kind of like no, we don't know what the next thing is, but obviously it just feels like Chuck Noland is now kind of at a crossroads, both metaphorically and literally, and, you know, he, he'll just kind of ha- have a kind of different life from now on, not one that is ruled by the clock. Uh, and, obviously, and according to IMDb trivia, trivia uh, when he's on the plane back after the rescue, there's apparently there's two FedEx mugs seen in the background. And they're arranged to to spell the words X Fed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I saw that. Uh, I mean, it's funny because obviously earlier on when he was yelling at the Russians, he said, "We live or we die by the clock," and now he's just casually driving to someone's, you know, porch and leaving them a note, and you know, he's it doesn't feel like he's feeling a rush of being, you know, part of FedEx, um, and that's where the film ends. Um, you know, I should say there were, there were no again. This is a, this is something that happened. Um, I'm trying to remember. What, I think Lady Killers does this as well. And there's a couple of other episodes I've recorded. Oh, Saving Private Ryan, where we just get uh, the opening words like Castaway. That's it. There's no more credits after that. So you know, the first time we get any credits is at the end here. Um, you know, when the end credits roll. Um, and I should say, uh, the typeface used in the end credits is a typeface called Frizz Quadrata. Uh, it is the typeface that is outside the building of One Police Plaza in New York, and it is the typeface that is used on all of the Law & Order TV shows, <laughs> one of which featured Chris Noth. Chris Noth. Wow. Yeah, so when you see Chris Noth's w- name at the end on these end credits, he shares a credit with uh, Larry White, uh, or Larry White, I don't know how we're saying that, Um that is the first time in like 10 years that his name was in or no, whether he left after season six. So this was the first time in like four years that his name had been in Frizz Quadrata. Um, but I just thought it's weird that that was the typeface they went with. Like they used the law and order typeface <laughs> for the end credits um, and they had a law and order actor in here. So, uh, yeah, um, I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, this is something I, you know, I like I like the kind of the. You know, like, we don't know what's going to happen next, and I don't think that's the important part of this film. The important part of this film is the the change that Chuck Noland underwent while he was on the island. Um, but it is kind of weird that it's just like, oh, he's just at a crossroads and that's it. <laughs> like, just, you know, um, we don't need to know what he's going to do next. You know, we've, we've spent four years with him, that's it. You know, Chuck Noland will do whatever Chuck Noland wants to do. Um, but I also did think it was kind of weird that, effectively, the film brings itself up to the current day but not quite because it, it's set in 95 and then it goes up to 1999 so i don't know if he's back in time for the millennium celebrations or if people are going to start telling him about y2k or uh you know whatever but it, it it's you know he's effectively 
he's back just like a year before the film actually came no, out. No, I, I, so I think you're still... wrong about that because remember, it's it's Christmas 1995. So it's just about 1996. Yeah. So they're four years. Oh, yeah, no, so then it's four years. Yeah, so he, what's the, we don't get to see him celebrate the New Year then, four weeks later. Did he celebrate New Year's in between? No, no he crashed before, he, he, before New Year's. And then there's additional That's, time to then just the four years that it says when it's four years later. It should be he was on the island. Gosh, I would say close to five. Um, no, no, he was on the island. He was waiting. on the island for maybe a few months, uh, or maybe a month before before we have this the skip. And then yeah, I don't he, think the jump he, forward is he is escapes that far. the island. I think in I think it said in March or April, something like that, or February March. So that's already two thousand. And then it's. Four weeks later. Yeah, so he didn't even get to celebrate the turn of the millennium. Oh, well. Or get worried about Y2K. Oh, well. Uh, so, uh, that's the film. Uh, and uh, this is a time where we should go to judgment. Well, one second. Uh, there's there's a, few, have... a few things I want to... Oh, we're there. Uh, first of all, yeah, uh, um, I, I like the fact... Uh, I think the wings uh, that, uh, you know, is in Bettina's ranch and then is on all the, the FedEx packages and stuff like that. I think that that's great symbolism because I think it has a lot to do more with the idea of some sort of uh, angelic miracle. You know, the fact that, that, that he saved and you know, that th this package that has these angels wings on it or something that, that, that helped give him hope and helped save him. And then based on what we can infer, he also basically saves her at the end because I mean, they've they've asked Tom Hanks what happens at the end of the movie, and he says, "Well, I followed that. I went back to that ranch and made a lot of babies with that woman." You know, that that was his response. So, in some ways, you can look at it that he possibly, you know, saved her because you know, here four years earlier, she was dealing with this uh, divorce from her husband. You know, that type of thing. So, I I, I thought that was uh, done really well. So yeah, now you can go on. Sorry. <laughs> Uh, we only have two ratings on this show. Uh, everyone is a previous guest, so we know what they are. They are either T-Hanks or no T-Hanks. Uh, let's start with uh, Rob first. Uh, T-Hanks, no T-Hanks. I, I, I think you could probably already guess. <laughs> it's definitely T-Hanks. Like I said, I think this is one of his best performances. Um, he should have gotten his third Oscar for this one. And, uh, you know, it's it's one of my favorite movies of his. It's my favorite movie from 2000, and uh, thank you for giving me a chance to rewatch it again. Oh yeah, for me, uh, yeah, definite, definite T Hanks. I mean, it's like like Rob said, it's 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 a great performance for him. But I think it's also a really great movie. I mean, it's it's just in, in general. I mean, the idea is it seems pretty simple on its face, but there's a lot of good hidden stuff there that I think Rob was just pointing out too. Um, that we've all kind of mentioned a little bit here and there at points. Um, you know, just just uh, it's it's kind of this desert island story wrapped in a love story wrapped in a overall life story. And now, probably the most controversial of all the guests, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> she hasn't she hasn't enjoyed any Tom Hanks up until this point. Um, T Hanks or no T Hanks, Alex? Oh man, everyone said it much better than me. Yeah, a, a big T Hanks. Um, very, very exciting guess. We converted yeah, her. Big... <laughs> I know, so controversial. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it really is every kind of, every kind of film all in one. Um, he, he definitely deserved an Oscar for this. 
Um, yeah, I mean, just just such a such a cool movie. Happy to kind of fill in, have have blanks filled in. You know how Wilson got his name. That was a surprise. Um, just a lot of just a, a lot of fun. I loved Wilson. <laughs> I love Chuck. Everyone everyone was fantastic. It was, I'm I'm happy to have been able to cover it. Uh, I mean, at this point, of course, we are at number 12 out of the Golden 14. So after this, uh, you know, after, once you get to Lady Killers, things get a bit more dicey about whether or not it's worth uh, watching films uh, with Tom Hanks in. You know, I'd say Road to Perdition and Catch Me If Can next to they're both very good films as well. Um, so you might want to watch those, Alice, maybe not for this podcast, but just, you know, for your own entertainment. Um, see if there's at least more than one Tom Hanks film that we can get you to like. Um, and obviously for me it is a T. Hanks uh, like I said I remember so vividly seeing it in the cinema and it being packed out and everyone enjoying it um, and I have until today I don't think I'd actually rewatched it um, since then wow. um, yeah but I'm you know I, I, I recalled enough of it to remember enjoying it I'd forgotten all the, the stuff in Russia I'd completely forgotten about that um, but I guess the more memorable stuff is kind of the middle hour um, and you know, just uh, great, like I, like we've all said, you know, a great performance from Tom Hanks. Um, you know, it just like what's funny is kind of like, um, and like in this, he's kind of reverting back to kind of being um, uh, like the, with the relationship. Like this is the first time like where he's kind of been in a relationship that isn't like a marriage or something. Like normally, his character is either married or he's very determinedly single. Or in more recent films, he's like a father. Like, it's, you know, it's very specific. This is kind of the... It's almost like he's back to kind of doing his, like, kind of 80s rom-com bachelor thing. Um, so it's interesting that that's the way the story went and the fact that, obviously, he doesn't get the girl. And um, it would have been interesting, actually, if uh, instead of Chris Knopf, they'd had Greg Kinnear in there because uh, it feels like Greg Kinnear is always the, the other man in a, in a Tom Hanks film. So... Um, but maybe he'd been soured on the fact that he'd lost somebody already to uh, to Tom Hanks uh, in a previous film. But yeah, I mean, just, uh, you know, the, the dedic I mean, you know, the kind of production stuff is interesting, like the fact that they waited a year and he lost the weight and, you know, the kind of dedication to doing that. Um, I feel also set like a bad, I mean, he did it with um, Philadelphia where like he played someone who was ill and dying. And then here he kind of, you know, puts the weight on and loses the weight. I think both of those films set kind of precedents that other actors kind of missed the performances and they just saw like the, you know, if you play someone who's ill or if you play someone who's kind of lost a ton of weight, that's how you win an Oscar. And, you know, there have been a few people who seem to have kind of followed that um, kind of template. So it feels unfortunate that it, like Tom kind of set that precedent. No, like, it was Robert De Niro starting that with Raging Bull. Did he win for Raging Bull? Um, yeah, I believe so. But Tom, you know, with Philadelphia, he got he got basically an Oscar for playing someone who was right. ill, and you know, then for this, he got nominated for for doing effectively like what seemed to some people to be like a stunt of just like losing the weight. Um, and you know, in the last twenty years, there have been a lot of people who combine those two things to kind of um, you know win Oscars. Yeah, so uh, or at least Daniel won won the Oscar for for Regional. Yes, you know, still twenty years before though, like you know, it took a while before it kind of became a trend. Yeah. Um, but, you know, aside from that, you know, Tom is putting in a great performance. That's the thing. Like, you know, it is just him on the screen. And, you know, he holds your attention for the, you know, for the time that he's on the island. And then even when he's back, you know, and he's kind of, you know, talking to people, you, you can still see the performance of somebody who's kind of not, who's kind of getting used to being back in society and kind of interacting with people. 
um, you know, and kind of maybe being a bit overwhelmed with it. And so, you know, it's a, it's a great performance. Like we said, um, you know, Russell Crowe won an Oscar and then used that to go and work with Meg Ryan and then destroy her marriage. So maybe it would have been better if Tom had won. Maybe if Tom had won, um, you know, Russell Crowe wouldn't have had that clout to go and break up uh, Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, it may be in a different universe. That's what happened. <laughs> uh, but yeah, just, you know, a great film. And, you know, uh, Robert Zemeckis, one of the directors that Tom Hanks worked with twice in this Golden 14, obviously, the, you know, uh, in a couple of films time, he'll be working with Spielberg again. Um, the next time they work together, uh, not as successful, I would say. Uh, but obviously, you'll have to listen to my episode on the Polar Express, which is dropping on Christmas Day this year. Uh, to find out what I thought about that particular film. Uh, otherwise, thanks to everyone for being my guests here. Oh, yeah, thank you, Darren. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll be right back. <laughs> and coconut milk is a natural laxative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The thing that uh, didn't tell you on Gilgis Island. Uh, and uh, I would feel like this has been a very difficult road to get Chuck Nolan back, but next time we'll be on the road to perdition. <laughs>